welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. Sad to say, this is the last of our special suspense series. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be more suspense shows uh, featured on the good old days of radio show, but it's the last of our uh, 10 episodes with our special guest, Dr. Joe Webb, the author of The Suspense Collector's Companion, a book you can uh, get for yourself on Amazon and get all the little minute details about the show, the ones we don't cover, uh, and read all about it. And most of the, I don't know, how many episodes are missing still? Four, five, something like that? There are, of- there are 13 truly missing episodes. What I mean by truly missing is that they were only performed on the series once. There are many shows where the script was performed a second time, and we have the second one or the third one. We're only missing one of them. But the truly missing is down to 13. 13. And we've been trying to encourage as many people who enjoy doing recreations to do suspense scripts of, of those 13. And some of them have just been outstanding. So we hope that they all, the originals, all are found. And so do they, of course. But until then... Uh, some some of the productions have been very attentive to detail and extremely well done. So, Do we have scripts for every single episode? We have scripts for every single episode, yes. I thought that was correct because I remember seeing bound volumes of them at Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, but I didn't know if it well, was we, we, the entire we have them from We have them from a lot of different sources. The um, Sometimes, like, like the William Spear papers are at the University of Wisconsin, but so they have uh, Spears copies of the scripts for the time that he was the right. producer, but they are not the final production scripts. So they are scripts that were submitted to him that he saw that he worked on, but they don't have the uh, the casting, the production, the final uh-huh. edits and all those kinds of things. So you when you see scripts, well, you, when you see the the final production script and you see what was originally submitted, you can see how they edited for time or changed dialogue to read more naturally or to buy time to either to extend it or to shorten it. Uh, a fully marked up script is one of the most fascinating things that you could uh, ever get. Yeah, I have a few Especially if you have the final re- recording uh, to, to compare it against. It's, they're, they're really, really interesting. Yeah, they're, they're, they are. Um, I may, and I keep saying may because I don't know for sure, but I may have some of the missing episodes. I have some containers of glass transcriptions from 42, 43 uh, that are all broken. They're cracked or broken. And in there are a lot of suspense programs. And I've Mm -hmm. never gone through them to check and see if they are ones that are missing or not missing or whatever. I plan to do that at some point this year. We'll see if I get to it. Um, But I I may have at least one or two of the missing shows. So stay tuned. If I do, we'll we'll certainly make them available. And some are missing from well, 1956. Uh, Don't uh, have any of those. A show, there's a show called The Eavesdropper, and uh, we're hoping that an AFRS recording of that uh, shows up. Okay. So in some cases, just like Fury and Sound, which we played a few weeks ago, the only copy is an AFRS recording. Right. Um, th- when, when suspense moved to the tape recording era, and a lot of those tapes were recorded over, the AFRS was still pressing copies to send out to their stations around the world right so many of the 
uh, missing shows over these past years, we've been able to find AFRS recordings of them. So it's it's a it's a continual hunt for all of those things. Well, our, our listeners should understand. People just think, oh, yeah, all this stuff exists somewhere. Let's just go get it and enjoy it and play it. Well, you can't do that. There are some yeah. things that just simply have been lost forever. Um, I never tend to give up. I never say never. I think that eventually we can find most anything if we spend enough time and money looking for it. Um, but that becomes a problem because there's less and less people that have the time, energy, and resources to go out there and hunt these things down. They're not as easily located as they once were. And whatever is missing is buried pretty deeply. And it right. may or may not ever come up. We hope it does. We hope it gets found before it goes off to a landfill somewhere. But too, right. many, too many people are very casual about about these radio recordings, they don't understand that they didn't make that many of them. And if you drop it, break it, scratch it, uh, throw it away, um, there may not be another one and it may be right. lost to all time. And I've spent. And, and, and as soon as you say the word resources, many times people automatically go to money. Like well, it somehow is. these can be found if there's money. But the, the issue is not just the resources that are financial. It's the resources. Will there be equipment that can play this? Will it be the right kind of equipment? Yes. Is there somebody who has the, the right skill to make the transfer? Correct. Um, and then has has the material been kept uh, in, a, in a manner that allows its restoration? And then if it's not, what can be done to it to help restore it so it's not just uh it's not just a money thing it no, is well an, it, all that costs money though restoration yeah, costs somebody's time and money yeah uh, it's it's a lot of uh knowledge and um uh, and uh skill and experience to to do those kinds of things and luckily over these past years i've i've been able to to work with uh many of the folks who are skilled in in that regard and it's just fascinating to to work with them well there there's a lot of things that are missing it's it's amazing that out of a 20-year run of suspense we're down to only 13 that are mm -hmm. truly missing that's pretty amazing because there are many other series from the good old days of radio of which there are only a very few episodes out of a long run of episodes that actually exist right. so um partially i think this is due to the fact that so many people liked this show, Suspense. So many people liked it, and there were multiple uh, transcription discs made of each program. It wasn't just like one air check and that's it. Um, right. C CBS was making um, recordings in both New York and Los Angeles and probably Chicago as well. And then they were making copies for the actors and copies for people that were interested in, in having it. So there's a better chance of these uh, 14 shows being out there somewhere than there is with some other series where there's almost no chance that they still exist. Yeah. I've, I've told people that suspense, suspense may be one of the most recorded programs in radio history. Yep, I now, think of course, that's I know the Lone Ranger, there's thousands upon thousands of, of, of recordings around. I'm talking about the evening uh, once a week dramas. Right. Uh, suspense, um, was beloved and you you would think that a lot of the missing suspense would be after it moved to back to new york in late 1959 until it went off the air in 1952 
but there were people recording the show at home. And uh, one of the most important people in, in the history of that was a man named Pat Rispoli, who lived up in the Albany, New York area. And that's why a lot of the recordings from that period of uh, yours truly, Johnny Dollar and Suspense, will have the station ID of WROW because he was recording off the air. And sometimes those are the only recordings of programs that are available. Well, not to give away too much, but there is a lady in, I believe, Minneapolis area whose husband recorded loads and loads of radio shows. And in her basement are walls of transcriptions of radio shows, which she steadfastly refuses anyone to be allowed to touch. So that's the other thing that gets gets in the way here is people people some people have these things and they either put a price that's so outrageous that no one can deal with it or they just simply say nope they're mine and they're going to stay mine and that's it you can't have them and that kind of selfish attitude uh, is a great loss to not only history but everything else i mean it's i I can't understand it but uh, i deal with it every now and then and this particular uh, person i'm talking about is so frustrating because there are walls of transcriptions there of things that are missing and if you're lucky she'll let you walk in and you can see them but you can't touch them so Mm. anyway uh don't need to say too much more about that, but just no. as an example no. of things that are going on out there no. in the world we, we of collecting want, we, vintage radio shows. No, we, we don't want classic radio fans running around to every house <laughs> in Minneapolis knocking on doors. Well, I, don't even, yeah. I, I can't even remember if it's Minneapolis, but it's somewhere in Minnesota. Anyway, somewhere, whatever. Somewhere, cold. Somewhere, in, yes. somewhere where it's under 40 feet of snow as we speak. So Yes. All right. So now we've really rambled on here a bit, uh, but that's good because we get a lot of things out uh, before we have to stop this series. So today's episode is called Eyewitness. It's from December 16th, 1956. Again, that is near the end of vintage radio as we know it. Not quite, but close enough near the end because most people were watching television at that point. Star is Howard Duff, who was most famous on radio earlier, about 10 years earlier, as Sam Spade, uh, the great detective show Sam Spade, which is just Wonderful. Um, All right. Uh, Dr. Joe Webb, without giving too much away, what do we want to say about this one? Let's go into a little bit of the background of of Howard Duff in in this regard. Suspense and Sam Spade were very closely associated because they each had the same producer, William Spear. Uh, The the difference was William Spear owned the Sam Spade uh, as his production company, whereas uh, suspense was owned by CBS. Uh, so uh, he and Duff had uh, a long association. And, and as we know, Kay Thompson suggested that Howard become Sam Spade, which uh, Spear uh, did. And it was uh, much, much success uh, in, in that particular role. And then when some of the problems occurred with uh, the publication of Red Channels and other Red Scare issues howard duff supposedly became a little too hot for cbs he was met he was not a political person but he was mentioned in that book and the uh, the advertiser who was wild root just didn't want any association with that so a lot of the concerns that the networks had about people appearing in their shows being in in red channels was not so much them it was actually a a campaign focused on advertisers so uh, duff found himself out of a role 
And um, it, at, at CBS, it was more of an issue than in other places. Um, and I, I don't want to go into a whole lot of details because it is kind of an involved uh, story. But one of the reasons Duff kept working was he had a terrific agent who told him to take any job that he could get. And he was appearing in a lot of movies and westerns and, and the like, and was also married to Ida Lupino, who was uh, considered to be one of the most powerful women in, in Hollywood. She was big box office, and she also had her own production company. So uh, Duff, while he had an, an annoying, a seriously annoying period in his career, he kept on working. Now, William Robeson was the producer of Suspense at this time. He got caught up in the Red Scare stuff with CBS and lost his um, his producing position of the series Escape and would not was not allowed to to work uh, on at CBS at all. So he did some work for Mutual and some other projects, but nothing as high profile as the things that he was involved with. Anyway, all of this played out. The executive in, in charge of uh, these things at CBS uh, lost his position. They got tired of, of the entire thing. Robeson is welcomed back and becomes the producer of Suspense in October 1956. Duff and Ida Lupino are in process of creating a television program for CBS called Mr. Adams and Eve, which is a comedy about two actors in Hollywood about their life in Tinseltown, basically. And it, it uh, ran for two years and it got uh, some awards and a lot of attention. And one thing I thought when I was listening to this, since this is Duff's first appearance on CBS after being on uh, disallowed there for about five years, I thought there would be a little bit more attention to his return here or some kind of mention since you have Robeson, who was not allowed to work at CBS, and Duff not allowed to work at CBS. Suddenly, here they are in a Robeson script and a Robeson-produced drama and uh, with, with Duff in the lead role. But there was so much attention to this new comedy that was starting up called Mr. Adams and Eve, and you can watch some of the episodes on, on YouTube, that this is very, very low-key. Uh, and you almost get the impression that uh, this is Howard Duff returning to CBS with his tail between his legs. How, how great it is to have a job again, you know, that kind of thing, was absolutely the opposite. Um, Duff and Lupino overcame all of the Red Scare stuff, and here they are actually returning to CBS in a very triumphant uh, position with a big contract for the series. And here's Robeson uh, commanding one of the uh, one of radio's greatest franchises, Suspense, after going through all kinds of nasty stuff for the years before. So everybody, it, it's so interesting how that tide turned for, for all of them. Anyways... All right. What's the story? <laughs> well, we don't need to know that. We'll hear it. They'll hear it. Um, right. It takes place so, in a prison. That's probably right. all we need to say to get you set up. Uh, right. It's very well written and uh, very interesting twists in it. So here right. is Eyewitness with Howard Duff, December 16th, 1956. 
Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. What you are about to hear is more than the lurid figments of this writer's imagination. It has happened in the prisons of Michigan and New Jersey, Massachusetts and Colorado and elsewhere, when desperate men oppressed beyond endurance turn upon their tormentors. Not a prison break, not a prison riot, but a prison mutiny. Listen now as Howard Duff stars in Eyewitness, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. All you want is the background for an article on the state's prison. The managing editor assigns you because you've never been inside a penitentiary before. Fresh point of view and so on. But you get the distinct feeling that you're an unwelcome visitor here. The warden makes one thing plain. Of course, anything you may write about the institution will have to be cleared through me. And outside the main gate, your guide, the captain of the yard, comes up with a charming thought. Inside there, you may see somebody you know, or there may be somebody who knows you. They may try to speak to you. If they do, don't answer them. And don't speak to anyone. Don't give anything, don't take anything. Everybody's better off that way. Well, I uh, don't want to seem facetious, but I doubt if any friends of mine are in there. You never know, Mr. Kelly. You never know. And as the guard turns the key, and you step inside the prison, you feel that you are a prisoner. You feel you will never walk back through that door alive. The door opens, and you are inside. This here's the yard, Mr. Kelly. The yard. Men. Hundreds of men. Sitting in groups talking, standing in groups talking. A great beast in blue. Each man dressed alike in faded blue dungarees, blue shirt, and blue denim jacket. These are the disenfranchised. The men without names, without citizenship. You step ahead of the captain and he grabs your arm and his fingers go deep. On the sidewalk, Mr. Kelly. Oh? Yeah. The sidewalk's out of bounds. To the prison? Uh, the inmates? Yeah. Why? We gotta have a way to get around, too. Well, why can't we just walk through? You wanna get yourself killed, okay, but not when I'm responsible for you. Then you notice something. As you walk along the side of the yard, they're casing you. The men in the group standing, squatting, sitting, notice you first, and then the captain immediately turn their backs. It's a subtle choreography of a faded blue ballet. A flick of the eyes, a turn of the head. And as you pass, a solid phalanx of backs. Blue denim backs. But the faces, before they turn, are the faces of men, not convicts. The faces of the boy in the bakery truck, the teller in the bank, the checker in the supermarket. And that old one, a lifer probably, might be the face of your father. And you shudder a little, and you think... The difference between them and you is that they got caught. Captain Wolf shows you the dining hall where dinner begins at 3.30 in the afternoon in order that five and a half thousand convicts eating in shifts can finish their evening meal by 6.30. He shows you condemned row. He shows you the death house. A feeling of suffocation grows on you. The pall of prison begins to shroud you. You've had it. And you want to walk out of those gates as fast as you can. Because you can. Well, it's uh, been a very interesting tour, Captain. Now I think... Wait a minute before you go, Mr. Kelly. Here's something you ought to see. What's that? The old block, that building right ahead. Built more than 100 years ago. Oh? 
That's where we keep the bad ones. Bad ones? Yeah, in solitary, the tough guys, the deviates. It softens them up fast, most of them. The old block, a fortress prison, and the date chiseled in its keystone, A.D. 1847. A reminder that it was built when prisons were intended only to punish, never to correct. This'll take only a minute and you ought to see it. Ain't changed much in over a hundred years, I can tell you. You stop in front of a heavy steel door, but no guard peers through the bulletproof glass peephole. The door is not instantly unlocked like the others had been. That's funny. Should be a man on the door at all times. Oh, there he is. Go ahead on in, Mr. Kelly. You walk in, your eyes temporarily blinded by the transition from the bright daylight to the dimness of this corridor. The door clangs behind you, and you feel something sharp jab your back. All right, both of you. Stand where you are. Say, what is this? You're referring to what you feel in the middle of your back. It was once a file from the machine shop, now it's a shiv. And if you make one move, Wolf, I'll drive it straight through your gut. Uh, Frisk him, Joe. Yep. Here's a sap. Good. This gun. Good, we can use him. Now, this one's clean. He's an outsider. You can't get away with we this. We can't. We have. I'm happy to report, Captain Wolf, that the old cell block is completely controlled by its 32 inmates. With the four guards and the captain himself as hostages, not to mention an anonymous outsider. Now, listen, you're asking for trouble. Mr. Kelly here is from the Capitol News Telegram. Oh, a journalist. I couldn't ask for a better hostage. Uh, well, a guest. I think, Mr. Kelly, you'll serve us better than even the warden could. I trust we didn't tear your jacket when we were forced to stick you a moment ago, Mr. Kelly. I don't think so. I hope not. The name, Mr. Kelly, is J. Conrad Allen. That's spelled with one L, Mr. Kelly. Whether I end up a live lifer or a dead hero, be sure, Mr. Kelly, to spell it with one L. Hey, Connie, I... I, Uh, Don't call me Con. The name is Conrad. I'm sorry, Conrad. What do you want me to do with these two? Lock them up with the guards? Oh, not yet. I'll need Captain Wolf's cooperation. You won't get it. Would you like to bet on that? Well... How about you, Mr. Kelly? Are you going to cooperate? Well, I don't know. I, uh... Well, we'll see. All right, men, listen to me. Now, look, here's why we stand. We got Limpy to thank for this. He pretended to be sick and got that greenhorn guard to open his cell. He conked the guard, locked him in his cell, and let Big Joe and me out. We took care of the rest of the guards. They're all locked up in cell number three. All right, quiet, quiet. Wait a minute. That's not all. Just after we got him locked up, who should walk in but our old friend, the captain of the yard, Lard Tub Wolf. We also have another guest, Mr. Kelly of the Capitol News Telegram. An outsider. He ain't no good to us. Well, don't be too sure about that. Now, there are 32 of us, and we have the guards for guns. Now, let's handle this thing in a democratic fashion. What do you want to do next? Let's break out of here. Come on. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Break out, Tony. How far would we get? As far as the yard, you think? All the way to the slot? With gun guards in every tower? You think our four rods would get us very far? Yeah, he's right, Tony. We can't break out of here. We can't get anywhere. I say let's get back in our cells and spring the guards. We're only asking for more trouble. This way. Uh, you would figure that way, Pop. From your point of view, you're right. You aren't going anywhere. You're in here for life. All right, then let's go. Let's make a break for it. Come on. No, that won't work. But I'll tell you what will. The three guards, Lard Tub Wolf and Mr. Kelly, will work for us. I don't get it. What are you driving at, Con? Don't call me Con. I'm sorry, Conrad. We're going to get plenty out of this. We're going to get a square deal. We're going to get better food. 
We're going to get bars on those cells instead of solid doors. We're going to get rid of straitjackets and leg irons in the dungeon. Oh, we're going to get a lot of things out of this. How are we going to get all that? You just stick with me. I'll show you. First, they don't know anything's happened yet. So let's tell them. Come on, get on the telephone, Captain Wolf, and call the warden. I will, like... What you say? It is sharp, ain't it, Lord? Come on, Tom. get on the phone. Tell the warden where you are and what's happened. But... Tell him to send over our supper just the same and to wait for further instructions. Here. All right, I'll dial it. Here now. Talk. Warden speaking. Warden, this is Captain Wolf. Yes, Wolf? I'm... I'm talking from the old cell block. The cons have taken it over. What? They got me and McGuire and that new kid in Feeney. Uh, yeah, Mr. Kelly. Warden, if I was you, I... I'm giving out the advice around here. Give me that phone. And stop whimpering, Joe. He stuck you a little bit. Lock him up in three cell, Joe. Okay, Conrad. Come on, you. Hello, Warden. What have you done to Captain Wolf? Oh, don't worry, Warden. We uh, <laughs> just drew a little blood. Now you get this. Who is this speaking? Jay Conrad Allen. Oh. Number 6720. No, Warden. J. Conrad Allen is the name. What do you want? Plenty, and we don't want any funny business from you. Now, look here. No, I... you look here, Warden. Now, look, you just sit tight until you hear from me again. And don't you forget to send supper over as usual. I will not. Okay, Warden, okay. Don't send the supper then, but better send a stretcher, because we're just about to beat up a guard. Big Joe. Yeah, which one, Conrad? The one who's so handy with the chain strap. Feeney? Yeah, that's him. Here's his chain. Use it on him. It'll be a pleasure. Your throat goes dry as you watch it, and your insides turn over. It's amazing how little time it takes to beat a man into an insensible pulp of the length of chain. And then it's all over. And they toss Feeney's bleeding hulk out into the yard. You are listening to Eyewitness, starring Howard Duff. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. After they've carried Feeney's broken body away, it doesn't take long for supper to arrive. Rolled up to the door on steam carts by frightened trustees. The men of the old cell block fall to with an appetite you can't share. Not only because the soup is greasy and thin, and the bread rough and thick, but also because you've just seen a man nearly beaten to death. Why, uh, you're not eating, Mr. Kelly. I'm not very hungry. <laughs> I don't blame you. But after a while, you... You get hungry in here. Now you get so hungry, you'll even eat this guck. Yeah, I suppose you do. But don't think just because this is punishment food that it's much better in the mess hall. It isn't. It's just more filling over there. Did you have to do it? What? Beat up the guard. Of course. Why? Force. That's the only thing they understand. The guards, the warden. That's the way they treat us. You don't have to do anything. You just have to have a guard down on you. And it can mean three days in a straitjacket. You get in a real rhubarb and you can go down to the dungeon for anywhere from a week to a month. The dungeon? Yeah. The dungeon. It's down in the cellar of this block. Cells are five feet long, five feet high, and three feet wide. So you can't lie down, you can't stand up, and there's no light. <laughs> it's not a pretty place, Mr. Kelly. 
You see what I mean? I'm beginning to. Okay, Mr. Kelly. It's your story. What do you mean? Well, Mr. Kelly, for a newspaper man, you amaze me. It's your story. Eyewitness. You gonna let me out? Oh, oh no, indeed. We need you. Well, then how can I... Uh... Phone it in. When's the morning edition go to press? The Bulldogs put the bed at 8.15. Right, you got a little more than an hour. Can you do it? Oh, sure, if I can get a call through. You'll get a call through. <clears throat> Hello? Outside line, please. What? You heard me, Warden. Tell the operator to give us an outside line. What are you trying... Mr. Kelly wants to file a story. Well, no story goes out of here without my okay. No? I bet you're holding a press conference in your office right now, aren't you? Well, so am I. Mr. Kelly wants to file his story. I will not be intimidated. How's Feeney, Warden? Is he resting easy? Who do you want next, McGuire or that green kid who opened the first cell? Name him. We'll deliver him to you in pieces. Look here, Alan. Don't you realize what'll happen to you men? You can't get out of there. You're already in bad trouble, all of you. You've forfeited your chance for parole by breaking out... You've extended your sentences by beating up Feeney. You're only making it worse on yourself. Now, if you don't give up, you'll all spend the rest of your lives right where you are, in the old block. Oh, uh, threats, Warden? You threatening us? What's the matter, scared? Because we're not. We're sitting pretty, Warden. But you, you got plenty to lose. You might lose your job. And where could you ever find another one so cushy? You better play ball with us, Warden, because we're playing for keeps. Now get me an outside line. I will not. Okay, Big Joe, go to work on the next goon. Sure. Now, wait a minute, you can't. It's, it's inhuman. I suppose the dungeon isn't. But you can't. Get me that outside line, Warden. Give me your word you won't harm that man? I'll give you my word for now. You get me that line. What number do you want? Get me the Capital News Telegram. The managing editor. Yeah, person to person to the managing editor, Mr. Wiley Brooks. How did you know? And make it snappy. How did you know the Emmy's name? Why, uh, I've been around some, Mr. Kelly. I needn't warn you, I suppose, not to double-cross us. How could I? I don't know, but just don't. You saw what happened to Feeney. Yeah, I saw. But I have to include that in my story. I want you to. It happened. We're not ashamed of it. Oh, and here. You'll want to include this. What's this? A list of demands. Oh, I want to get that in. I want the warden to see that in print in the prison board and the governor. News telegram, Brooks speaking. Hello, Wiley. This is Conrad Allen speaking. Conrad? I thought you were in prison. Yeah, I am. Well, then what... What's going on up there? We got a flash that there was some trouble. There is. We got a man up there, but we haven't heard from him. You will. Say, what is this? Well, I've never forgotten what you did for me during my trial. Well, I knew you were framed. After all, you were the best city hall reporter I ever had. Oh, thank you. I told you I'd return the favor someday. I got an eyewitness story for you on the mutiny in the old cell block. Well, let's have it. Well, you know me, Wiley. I was never very good phoning a story, and I think better to typewriter, so uh, I'll turn you over to your Mr. Kelly. Is he there? Yeah, he's one of our hostages. One of your hostages? Uh, take it from here, Mr. Kelly. Hello, Wiley. What are you doing up there, Bob? I'll fill you in when I get out of here, if I get out. Uh, right now, here's the story. Ready? Ready. At 3.43 this afternoon in the old cell block at State's Prison, John J. Casey, alias Limpy, over... You dictate the story as fast as you can, including the mutineers' list of demands. Abolition of the dungeon, better food, 
Abolition of the use of straitjackets, chains, whips, and blackjacks, and no reprisals against the prisoners involved in the mutiny. Well, that uh, winds it up as of this minute, Wiley. Oh, uh, wait a minute. I got something to add. Uh, just a minute. Conrad Allen, that's spelled with one Al. I know. He wants to add something. Uh, hello, Wiley. Yes, Conrad. Look, I got three guards left. Now, your bulldog still hits the street at 10 p.m., doesn't it? That's right. Well, if they don't meet our demands by midnight, we beat up a guard. The next one goes at 4 a.m., the last one at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. You can print that. Yeah. Okay, Conrad, but listen. Let Bob Kelly out of there, will you? I need him on this story. Uh-uh, Wiley. He's on the story, and we need him. And if they don't give in by 8 a.m. when I run out of guards, I'll need your Mr. Kelly very badly. You hear it, you don't believe it. And then you think of Feeney. You're not so sure. The time drags on. Some of the men go back to their cells to sleep in the unaccustomed half-freedom of open doors. A couple of them pull the doors quietly shut because sleep is impossible with the doors open. Eight o'clock. Nine o'clock. Ten. Well, paper's on the street now. Eleven o'clock. The tension mounts. Slowly, Conrad's midnight deadline approaches. The hands creep toward twelve. They meet, point upward. Ten seconds. Fifteen. Nothing happens. Okay, boys. Who's next? How about McGuire, the blackjack specialist? Use his own on him. Okay, Conrad. Warden speaking. Send a stretcher, Warden. McGuire will be ready for you in five minutes. Here's your answer, Conrad. Hey, the lights! Somebody turned off the lights! So that's the way he wants it. What word do you want to use? Pandemonium, chaos, anarchy? They all fit. While the screaming guard is beaten into unconsciousness, the roaring men break apart the wooden furniture, dump the cots over the balconies, rip open the mattresses, and build a fire in the middle of the cell block. And at last, after the guard has been dumped into the yard and carried away, their anger subsides into sullen silence. Four more hours drag by, and at last Conrad's next deadline arrives. Ready to give in, Warden? Are you thirsty, Conrad? What do you mean? You will be. Why the crummy... Hey, Limpy. Yeah? Turn on the water tap in your cell. Huh? Turn it on. It, it's just a trickle. It stopped. Well, uh, come here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Conrad. Look, keep it to yourself, you understand? Well, what does it mean? They turn off the water? Well, just keep it to yourself. Don't tell the other guys. Oh, they'll find out soon enough. Yeah, but let's not tell them, huh? Let them find out by themselves. Look here, Conrad. Don't you see they got you licked? No, they haven't, Mr. Kelly. They're scared. They're plenty scared. In the name of humanity, why don't you stop this? Stop now? We can't stop. Hey, Conrad. Something's going on outside. What is it? I can't tell. Sounds like digging out and back. Well, can't you see? You kidding? We ain't got no lights, remember? And the yard lights are out. Hmm. Time to throw him another bone. <laughs> Which one this time? How about the greenhorn kid? Oh, but he's the one who let me out. Well, he's a guard, isn't he? Go to work on him. So the greenhorn kid gets his and is dumped into the yard. And you sit and wait in the darkness until gray light spreads over the gray walls 
and through the tiny windows, turning the blackness of the block into a lighter black, and one by one, the men awakened. Hey, Conrad, there ain't no water in the taps. I know. What is this? They turn off the water? Yeah. Another hour goes by, and it's breakfast time. Hey, Conrad, when do we eat? We wait and see. Well, I'm hungry. We wait. Eight o'clock, that's the deadline. And at last, eight o'clock. Okay, boys, this is it. What the... Well, what's the matter, Conrad? Phone, kid. They cut off the phone. What? Gee, Conrad, what uh, we gonna do? We got no lights, no water, no phone, no food. I told you, son. We better give ourselves up. Oh, oh go back into your up. cell and get lost, Pop. But what are we gonna do, Conrad? Well, boys, how would you like a little exercise? Huh? Big Joe. Yeah. Unlock the lard tub. With yeah. pleasure. Come on, give them to me. Come on. Now, now, boys, with Lard Tub Wolf, it's going to be different. Everybody gets a crack. Because everybody's got unfinished business with Tub, isn't that right? Okay, Big Joe. And cuff his arms behind him and stand him up by the door. All right, now, boys, line up. But, fellas, be fair. You guys at the head of the line go a little easy so the fellas at the end still have something left to work on. Okay, go to work. You thought you'd seen cruelty before, but this is mass bloodlust. The tormented turning on their tormentor. Each man delivering his retribution on the captain of the yard. Calculatingly, deliberately, one with a fist, another with a foot, a third with a length of chain, still another with an iron cot leg, and you turn away. And the effort of your retching blots out the sounds of agony and empty victory. Good old Lord Tub. Boy, I got an idea he might quit his job. <laughs> After he's able to walk again. <laughs> hey, Conrad, I just thought of something. Yeah, what's that? What are we going to do next? Nothing. It's their move. Yeah, but we ain't got any more guards to beat up. That's right. But we've still got Mr. Kelly. Your heart stops beating for a long instant as the wild bloodshot eyes of 32 desperate men center on you. Yeah, that's right. I was forgetting. We still got Mr. Kelly. Now, wait a minute, Conrad. He ain't done nothing to us except do us a favor. He got the story out for us. Now, listen, boys, let's not get ethical. We're all in this all over our heads. If Mr. Kelly's what it takes to win our point, we'll use Mr. Kelly. Now, look, I don't think You're it's right. You're not supposed to think. I'll do the thinking. You agree with me, don't you, Kelly? You'd do the same thing if you were in my place, wouldn't you? You're asking me. You don't know how long you sit there across the table from Conrad. Time has stopped. You wait. Conrad waits. The men wait in silent little groups. You wait for the next move. The warden's move. And at last it comes. You men in the old cell block. Hey. What's that? Just put a loud speaker truck into the yard. Where? Oh, yeah. Can you hear me? I'll break out this window. Yeah, warden, I hear you. I'm not talking to you, Alan. I'm doing the talking for the guy. I'm talking to all of you men. I've just come from a meeting with the prison board and the governor. 
we are in agreement that we will not permit the authority of this state to be bullied by a tiny group of men who haven't even the rights of citizens. Make it simple, Warden. You turning us down? I am willing to discuss your grievances with you, but I will not be forced to give in to your demands. That's final. Now, men, I urge you, come out of there peaceably, and we'll see what can be done for you. Thanks a lot for nothing, Warden. We'll sit tight. Men, don't listen to Alan. He must be crazy to keep you there, and I think he is keeping you there. Now, listen to me. I've cut off your lights, your water, your food. I couldn't let you rot in there, but I don't want to do that. Come out peaceably. Ah, go blow it! All right. I will. My watch... My watch says 17 minutes after 9. Exactly 9.30, I will blow up the cell block. You're bluffing. You think so? During the night, we planted dynamite all around the building. Hey, Conrad, you remember I said I heard noises out there during the night, huh? Yeah, yeah. You men, don't listen to Alan. Listen to me. Now, you've got 12 and a half minutes to make up your minds. Uh, you're forgetting something, Warden. We still got the newspaper reporter in here, Mr. Kelly. I can't be responsible for him. I got all my cards out. I won't bargain any further. It's just a little more than 12 minutes. Think it over, boys. Well, Mr. Kelly, looks like you aren't as valuable as I thought you'd be. I'm sorry about that. Well, we're licked. We gotta give in. Give in! Give in after we've gone this far. Give in and lose everything? Do you realize that in this state they can give us all life for what we've done so far? Me, I'd rather be blown up than spend the rest of my life in this hole. No, 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 Conrad, please, you've you got to get us out. It's all your fault, you little punk. What, what do you mean? If you hadn't cocked that greenhorn guard yesterday just because you wanted to make up to Conrad, oh. we wouldn't be in this fix. Lay off the kid. Why, you little jerk, oh. I ought to break your I head. I said lay off the kid! You made a lot of mistakes, Conrad. This is one too many. You had yourself a ball ordering us around, promising us you'd mastermind us out of here. Where you got us? Five minutes from kingdom come. Now the warden's only bluffing. He wouldn't dare blow us up. I'll, I'll get you all out of this. No, Con. Call me Conrad! No, Con. I'm not waiting no five minutes to find out if he's bluffing. I said you made a lot of mistakes, and the biggest one was passing out the guards' guns, remember? No, no, stand right where you are. I'm taking over now. Why, you stickin' little grease ball. Don't you move, Con. You call me Conrad, you... You... Less than five minutes, boys. I'm going out. Anybody joining me? Kelly, I feel I must apologize for the inconvenience and discomfort you've suffered. That, Warden, is the understatement of the year. As I said yesterday, you will, of course, clear any stories you write about the situation through me. I doubt it. But we can't permit... Look, Warden, I'm going to report it just as it happened. 
And when I get through, I don't think J. Conrad Allen spelled with one L, mixed up and twisted though his values may have been. I don't think he will have died in vain. Suspense. In which Howard Duff starred in Eyewitness, written, directed, and produced by William N. Robeson. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with Herbert Marshall in Back for Christmas, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Supporting Mr. Duff and Eyewitness were John Daner, Lou Merrill, Joe Kearns, Jack Crucian, Court Falkenberg, Barney Phillips, Tony Barrett, Dick Legrand, and G. Stanley Jones. The original musical score was composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. Every weekday evening, most of these same stations bring you three of the greatest stars in all show business, Bing Crosby and Amos and Andy. In their music hall, Amos and Andy let still another star, the Kingfish, join the proceedings as they play host to lady wrestlers, symphony conductors, and anyone who will make music or laughter or both. Hear them every weekday night on CBS Radio. Well, there we have it, the final episode of Suspense from this series. We will have more down the line. And we have uh, one last uh, set of comments here from our special guest, Dr. Joe Webb, author of the book, The Suspense Collector's Companion, available from Amazon. What about this one? One of the actors in here is John Daner. And with that kind of voice, isn't it appropriate that he plays the warden in this uh, thing? <laughs> yeah. um, you have some real superstars as far as radio fans are concerned. Joe Kearns is in here. He wasn't really appearing in suspense much at this point because of his uh, television commitments. But uh, he's in here. Lou Merrill, another great voice. Jack Crucian. Uh, Barney Phillips. Uh, you'll hear a lot of these people in uh, Johnny Dollar of this uh, era, but uh, John Daner as as the warden is uh, is a good one for me. Uh, what's suspense has an interesting connection with prisons. Uh, it had three writers who were likely in San Quentin at exactly this time. One of them was Edgar Scott Floor, who was a safe cracker. Um, Jules Maitland. And Elmer Parsons. Parsons and Floor were cellmates. Um, Floor submitted some scripts for suspense that were produced in 1957. And what was interesting, <laughs> he forgot to put his return address. So they actually had to take an ad out in Variety saying, Will Mr. Floor contact uh, you know, CBS? And CBS learns for the first time that his return address is San Quentin. And my, my, my first impression was, who knew? 
that San Quentin Library had a subscription to Variety. Yeah, so, I, I guess. And who would think right? that, that radio writers were in prison for safe cracking? I guess yes. if you couldn't you couldn't sell enough radio scripts, you went out and you cracked safes. Okay. Right. So so Floor and Parsons did some work for Ivan Tours, which who was the producer of Sea Hunt and a another series called uh, the Aquanauts. Uh, so they were getting some some work done, but Floor found, I don't know how to say it, but he found forgery and counterfeiting to be much more interesting after he got out of prison. <laughs> so he ended up going back. And the, and the funny part of that story is he's forging stock certificates uh, for uh, to go to banks to use as collateral. And the banks would loan money on the basis of those stock certificates. And, of course, they would never pay the loan, but they would just take the money from the bank. And what's the stock certificate that they're producing often? The Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. they so learned that's... something from their stint in radio. So maybe, maybe some other time you, you can uh, go through or present the two scripts by Edgar Scott Floor. They are, they are well done. Oh. Okay. Well, all right. We can inspire some safe crackers out there. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dr. Joe, it's been great having you on this series. You've been very kind and generous with your time and your knowledge and have contributed greatly to documenting uh, the show Suspense. And um, it's, it's one thing to do it in a book, and that's where it actually should be done, and you've done that. But it's another thing to do it as a podcast. It, it, cr it adds a whole new level to the understanding. I, people can read books and they can get a lot of good facts and good information out of a book, but to actually hear someone speaking about it with the passion that you have and the information that you have just makes for a great experience. So I want to thank you for taking your time to spend with me here on the Good Old Days of Radio Show for these last 10 weeks, and maybe we'll come up with something to do with you again in the future, some, some other show or some other something. We'll see. But in the meantime, thanks for being here, and thanks for everything. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Great. Well, this is John Tefteller in the Good Old Days of Radio Show. We will be back next Thursday. We will have another uh, something. We'll see. I don't know. We haven't figured that one out yet, but we'll figure it out. And then we'll be back on Tuesday with more comedy, drama, or variety. Every Tuesday and Thursday, you get a fresh, brand new Good Old Days of Radio Show. It's been that way now for the last year and a half or so, and will continue as long as I feel like continuing, so we'll see. But in the meantime, we got lots of new listeners, lots of people that are downloading the podcast, lots of people are telling their friends, and it's all great, because the more listeners we have, the more old-time radio fans we can create, because all of us old guys are getting older, and we need young people, young people to be interested in these old programs and there are a lot of them that are we hear from them all the time and that that's what keeps us going here so anyway thank you all uh, check out facebook good old days of radio show on facebook you can ask questions you can um, write comments about these shows whatever you want to do and also goodolddaysofradio.com is the website so until next week this is john tefteller saying thank you and goodbye <laughs>